podcast one production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. G'day, Alex. How the hack's been traveling? Last episode was how to get fit fast. And this seems to now be a common thing. Not only do I adopt what you say, because that's my role here is to put into practice what you're offering, but my girlfriend gets roped into it. So now we're training every second day for a rest day, doing hardcore sprints and skipping down at the park near where we live. And I'm feeling fantastic. It's good to get back into that feeling of being um, life fit, as you mentioned. If you haven't heard the episode, go back and listen to it on how to get fit fast. You don't have to be a shredded person to do it. Anyone can start doing it. Like, I'm not that fit, but I'm getting there. Well, mate, the great thing was I apply my own hacks, and it's been a while since I've had the stereo pumped up because I've got two young kids, and they're usually trying to sleep when I go to train. So I uh, reminded myself of how effective music was to pump myself up to train at a higher intensity. So I pumped up the beats the other day, and uh, I actually interviewed uh, Jacinta Franklin, the uh, model, just the other day, and she's a gangster trainer. She listens to gangster rap before she trains, and she's a Muay Thai trainer. So she's pretty nasty. Buddy Franklin better watch out. But uh, <laughs> once again, you know, tapping into our hacks, using music to motivate ourselves. And uh, I uh, have had a few of my athletes taking the beetroot juice. Yep. Uh, a few of them gagged on it. So I warned them the other alternative was the uh, bicarb soda and they weren't too keen on the uh, side effects of bad diarrhea. So they held their nose and sculled the beetroot juice. So them hacks certainly work. And if you're looking to get fitter, whether it's for a tough as mother competition or just so, you know, you can boast to your mates at work that, uh, you know, you ran so many Ks in so many minutes, uh, there's some great hacks there to tap into. Episode four, you're going to love it. Today, what are we doing, Adam? Well, um, most people out there, 90% of the population, when you ask them what their New Year's resolution is, most of them will say, lose weight. Yeah. Uh, most people going to the gym, spending hours running up and down the treadmill, sweating it out. What are they there to do? Lose weight. Just for the sake of audio, my hand is being raised. Even though I've lost a lot of weight, which I mentioned last time, I've still got a bit of a tummy on me and I do want to drop that last bit. It's really, really hard, mate. Well, I thought you were actually going to say, you know, most people do it for Instagram or social media these days, which is the driver. Definitely, That's just not me. That's all about narcissism, mate. You've <laughs> got to look good hey, for yourself. The filter can't get rid of that bulging gut or that big butt. So today's podcast is on five fast fat loss hacks. The problem is in Australia, we now are the gold medalists. That's right, the gold medalists when it comes to being the fastest growing fat nation in the world. So it's really sad when you think about it, like as far as the number of steps taken in a day as well, Australia now ranks 19th in the world as far as just general movement goes. The pommies are lapping us, the Americans are lapping us, you know, so That's you know, it's good. really, really sad that, you know, we're very unfit and unhealthy, a lot of people out there. But the exciting thing is, you know, that um, a lot of people do want to lose weight and they don't need to spend hours in the gym and that's what these hacks are for. So the scary thing is the stats don't lie. There's 11.2 million Australians now overweight and a further 5.2 million obese Australians, which is scary. Very scary indeed. And one thing I will say to back up anyone who is overweight, and I was one of those people, we're not idiots. We all want to be healthy and fit. And it's just about finding a right way to do it rather than walking around feeling guilty. I think we want to try and empower everyone to say, you know that you want to try and be fitter and healthier. Here's how. Well, that's a great thing about these hacks and about what we're trying to do and how we're trying to elicitate change is through simplicity. Simplicity is genius. It doesn't have to be difficult. And the scary thing is that obesity rates have doubled in the last decade and people being overweight have doubled. And you have to ask yourself why. There's more gyms than ever, more fad diets, 
But the problem is that in itself, there's so many confusing messages out there for people. So we're here to cut through all the BS for them, keep it simple and make sure they've got the right tools to be successful. That's why you're the health hacker and not me, mate. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of smart people around me that give me this information and I do apply it myself and people like yourself apply it and we all give our feedback and, and, and share with each other what works and doesn't work. So my first tip to losing fat is that in itself, focus on fat loss and not weight loss. Okay. It's a big difference there straight away. Most people go on an extreme diet. They starve themselves. They want to spend hours doing cardio exercise, spending time up and down, riding a bike, riding a treadmill. But from a metabolic point of view, the amount of calories you burn, just when you're sitting down on your backside, breathing, just surviving, your body functions every day. 75% of the calories that you burn at rest are determined by your body structure, which is how much muscle you have compared to fat. Mm. So when people go on extreme diets, most of the stuff they lose to start with is water. So they jump on the scales and they go, wow, wow, I'm killing it. I've lost five kilos. Five kilos of what? Water. Water. And they've lost a lot of muscle with that as well because like I said, they've starved themselves. They haven't given their body the fuel to keep growing muscle or maintain muscle. They've done the wrong type of exercise, which increases things like cortisol, which tears down muscle as well. So things like long, slow, steady state training is a stress on your body tears down muscle. So all of a sudden you look at a sprinter in the Olympics, a hundred meter sprinter, muscly, buffed, double gun show. Yeah. We want the Usain Bolt diet and body type because that metabolism's fast. Right. So focus on building muscle. So in future episodes, we're going to actually show you the smartest ways to build muscle. And take my word for it, you don't need to have a mullet or wear a bum bag to actually be buffed in the gym. We've got some great hacks for you in future episodes. So whatever you do, stay away from long, boring cardio. Don't starve yourself. Don't go on some model diet or eat like a rabbit. Make sure that you're getting good protein on your plate. You're getting enough fuel to sustain your metabolic rate. And we're also trying to do some resistance training, not just cardiovascular training. Okay, hack number two. Now, we just touched on exercise, but I can't emphasize enough that you can't out-exercise a bad diet. That's right. You can't outrun your fork or, as I like to say, abs are made in the kitchen. People always say, you know, oh, I'm going to the gym and, you know, but I can't lose weight. You know, I'm spending all these hours doing spin class because when you start to sit back and look at it, simple maths tells you that it's calories in versus calories out. Now, that's a very simplistic approach to weight loss or fat loss, as I like to call it, or focus on more so. But when you look at it in its basic sense, it's true. If your body, it's like a car. If you put more petrol in it at the start of the day and you go only drive around the block, you're still going to have fuel left in the tank. Right. So if you eat more food, then you burn off. Well, of course, you're going to store body fat. It's pretty simple, really. But calories also, the type of calories you also eat play a huge role as well. So, you know, a calorie is not just a calorie. You know, for example, when I eat a piece of meat, which is protein, my body requires 30% of the energy in that food to break it down. Whereas when I eat a piece of bread, my body only has to use 6% of the energy in that food to break it down. And the hormone response between the two is totally different. When your body breaks down protein, it's trying to use things out of the protein called amino acids to rebuild skin hair, not in my case hair, but a lot of, you know, things, tissues as such, whereas carbohydrates are primarily an energy source. So if you're not burning the energy, you're going to store them as fat and you're going to obviously release different hormones such as insulin, which puts you in a fat storage mode when you eat these types of food. So it's important to also focus on the types of calories you eat, but not just focus on the types of calories you eat, but the types of food, because we are very much now realizing that it's not just what you eat, but what you absorb. And that comes down to your gut health as well. And in future episodes, we're also going to touch on some hacks on how to get great gut health. But some of the hacks you can do out there is take a probiotic because the healthier your gut, the more effectively you're going to break down food and you'll be able to use it as energy rather than it being stored as fat. Um, they just did an amazing you know, study in Israel where people who had bad guts would actually eat 
things like vegetables and they would have an autoimmune response, which caused their body to release high amounts of insulin and cortisol, which caused them to store fat. And they had the same response as if they had a donut. So yeah. these poor buggers were eating things like carrots and kale and broccoli, and they were storing fat because their gut health was so bad. So if you can do one thing to really, you know, lose fat today, focus on getting good gut health as well. And, you know, probiotics we touched upon, eating things like Greek yogurt, um, kefir, sauerkraut. We all love Oktoberfest. Maybe not as many schooners, but focus more on the sauerkraut. Um, things high in prebiotics like onions and garlics are really great for our gut. So we'll touch on that more in future episodes, but just being really conscious of what you put in your body. Because if I said to you, Alex, you know, you're going to go to the gym and you think, oh, good as gold. I'll just uh, grab a bag of chocolate peanut butter M&Ms, for example. How long do you reckon it takes you to burn off one chocolate peanut butter M&M? How like, much exercise? Like one individual yeah, one? Yeah. Just one. Not the whole packet. The whole I just packet. want to be clear. Yeah, one. But one. Yeah. Which color? <laughs> so, well, it's only one peanut M&M, so wouldn't just like hopping from the car and walking to the gym burn that off? Like it's one. You'd think so, wouldn't you? You know, when we think you know about it as such, you'd think that would be the simple answer. Just a bit of a walk would burn it off. Given how many M&Ms are in yeah. a pack, you'd hope so. But one chocolate peanut butter M&M, you'd have to run the football field twice. How's that 200 meters? That's 200 meters. That sounds tiring just talking about it. So it makes you think about food differently. Like a meat pie, for example, you have to walk for one and a half hours to burn it off. Two slices of pizzas, roughly person weighing, you know, 75 to 80 kilos, will take about three hours to walk off two pieces of pizza. A burger meal with your fries and your Coke, you're looking at six hours. So if you've got all the time in the world to exercise, knock yourself out and think that you can out-train a bad diet. And just be careful of the drinks, you know. We're going to touch upon some of the danger zones in future episodes as well in podcasts. Some of the foods that you think may be healthy that aren't healthy for you, such as orange juice. But, you know, you look at an orange juice and some of these 600 ml orange juice have got 12 cubes of sugar in them. An iced coffee, some of them have got 12 cubes of sugar. Also be careful a lot of these coconut waters as well because a lot of them are high in sugar. You know, just stick to the good old uh, H2O. Okay, my third hack for today once again relates back to food because like we said earlier, you can't outrun a bad diet or out-exercise your fork. So we are now going to the 10-hour feed. That's right. Hack number three is the 10-hour feed. Now, you might be saying, what's the 10-hour feed? I want you to eat for 10 hours of the day and that's it. Set your watch. As soon as you take your first mouthful of food, set the alarm. 10 hours later, stop eating. Whatever you're doing, stop eating. This is a form of intermediate fasting. It's the big trend at the moment. Hugh Jackman looking buffed, getting in shape for Wolverine. How did he look like Wolverine? He did a 16 and 8 diet, which was 16 hours of not eating, and he'd only eat for eight hours of the day. That's what he puts down to getting ripped you know, at his age. So it's pretty amazing. So yeah. you know, fasting is such a powerful tool. It's the biggest trend thing in health and fitness at the moment, and it does work. It's an amazing tool for our bodies. And when you think about it, you, know, you go back, and we can't get away from it because the, the, the life we live today makes up less than 1% of the lifespan of the human race. So how we're living today is so foreign to our bodies. There's so many challenges and so many new threats to our natural environment. That's why we're getting fat and that's why we're sick. You know, we have this reptile brain that doesn't know how to stop eating Mm. because food wasn't abundant like it is now. We have this reptile brain that, you know, craves sweetness. So if you put something sweet in your mouth, that's survival. It's going to consume it. So we didn't eat for long periods of time. You know, there's no such thing as light. We had to have fires to have light. You know, you couldn't just go to the fridge door in the middle of the night and open it up and have something to eat. Yeah. You you have to go chase something, bang it over the head, drag it back, start a fire. (laughs) Bugger that. I'm not doing that. Yeah. We used to eat in sparse periods of of space throughout the day. So some days we wouldn't eat at all. So it primes our body. It gives our body a break. You know, our body's organs aren't meant to be continually in overdrive trying to break food down and process it. It's very hard for the body. 
The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Now, I know that I have very sensitive blood sugar levels. So then for me, sometimes I find that I don't mind fasting, but that means during that time of 10-hour period that I should eat sort of gradually and non-spiky foods because then for that second period where I'm not eating, your insulin levels can drop quite low and I don't want to spike back up when I eat again. So throughout the 10 hours, is there a tip on how often you should eat, when you should eat and what you should be eating? Yeah, it's a great question. And it goes back to one of our rules in our past episodes, how to make food your friend and not your enemy. We talk about not getting this insulin response, which comes from eating the wrong types of foods. And you're exactly right. We don't want to get on that sugar roller coaster. You, know, you have that, you know, that highly processed carbohydrate, white bread or something high in sugar, like a flavored yogurt or a, one of these drinks that are full of sugar. All of a sudden you have it. You know, you feel great, you get that sugar buzz, and then 20 minutes later, you know, you've got drool coming down your chin and you're asleep at your desk. <laughs> That's the roller coaster we don't want to get on. It's the same in that 10-hour feed. You know, what we're trying to do in that 10-hour period is eat foods that keep us fuller for longer. So we know that fiber, things high in fiber are great for us. Things that are high in good fats, particularly monosaturated fats like your nuts and your avocados, your oily fishes, they're going to attack gut fat as well. We know that. Things that are high in protein are going to keep us fuller for longer. They're going to help our bodies release these satiety hormones, which make us feel full. So the key is eating the right types of food always in that 10-hour period. So the big myth about having to eat all the time for a lot of people, it's more psychological than physiological. We know that our ancestor, Dave, the caveman, didn't eat. Food was sparse. It's more psychological rather than physiological once you think hunger. True hunger, when you start fasting, that's the great thing about it. It teaches you what true hunger is. <laughs> There's something that's trending at the moment for general health and well-being called the fasting mimicking diet. And it's essentially where you, you eat minimal amount of food, less than 500 calories of certain macronutrients such as protein is kept to a minimum and you're eating a more high fat diet and for five days and what that does is it, it creates a process which removes a lot of the dead cells in our body to help starve off things like cancers and, and, and diseases so there's different lengths of fasts and whatnot. and I'm a big believer in not being team extreme you know because it's not sustainable that, that's the big thing we try to do in this series is keep it simple for people so you don't need to be team extreme it's just this little hack it's pretty easy to do it when you think about it you know we just eat mindlessly a lot of the time it's not true hunger it's through boredom it's through emotional stress it's just through habit that we think we're hungry when we're not. So we just use our hands. We, we, most of us can't sit still. So what do we do? We just have to feel like we're putting something in our mouths. So true hunger and obviously habit hunger are two totally different things. And I'm guessing after having this conversation, we're probably going to have a whole episode just about fasting as well. We are going to have a whole episode. Because it sounds like you know yeah. a lot about it. It's just such a it's such an intriguing thing. It's a really hot topic at the moment. Our bodies were never really designed, as I said earlier, to just be continually breaking down food. It's just not how we evolved as the human species. But as I said, 24-hour fast food outlets everywhere, TV, Netflix, you can stay up all night. You don't even have to sleep and you can have a party 24-7. So it's really important to realize that our, our organs need a break and particularly the ability of our body to break down food into energy. So our insulin sensitivity, if you give your body a break, it gets more effective at storing food as energy. So that's really important. Give your body a break and it'll actually improve your body's ability to use food as energy rather than store it as fat. You know, the next thing that really helps also is it speeds up your metabolism. And the reason it speeds up your metabolism is because the digestion process and all the load on your bowels takes a lot of work for the body. So after a while, the body gets tired. So your metabolic rate drops and your ability to burn calories drops. So straight away, you're going to store more fat. The other great thing is it improves hunger because it really teaches you the relationship between food and your brain. So, you know, that's the great thing about fasting. It really does lose the inches off the weight pretty quickly. And it's not that painful. What fasting teaches our body to do is it teaches us to use stored energy or fat, as we like to call it, 
to create energy in our body. So if you haven't continually just shoving food down your gob, where do you get the energy from? Your fat stores. So that's what fasting does. It teaches your body how to use fat stores as energy. So what I love to do in the morning is get up and go for a walk before I've eaten anything. So my 10-hour window of eating throughout the day usually starts with, I get up in the morning, um, go back to podcast uh, number one, how to start kickstart your day the perfect way. And that is my morning routine. You know, I get up, I don't eat, I go and do them little hacks that we spoke about and I'm bouncing, mate, I'm ready to go. So generally speaking, I have my first bite of food anywhere from nine to 10 o'clock in the day and I try not to have anything later than about seven to eight o'clock. Normally I have dinner about six-ish, so you know, my window of eating has actually got shorter as time's gone by because I've got better at it. And this is the great thing about these hacks. As you apply them, you become tougher, you become better, and they're not that you know hard. The hardest part's starting. So that's my day. And start off with you know the liquid breakfast. I then move into you know a few snacks. A normal lunch for me, you know, might be a nice big salad, plenty of vegetables, maybe um, some meat, some uh, avocado, some good fats, a bit of salmon, something like that. It might even be a wrap, chicken wrap. Um, in the afternoon, then maybe grab another handful of nuts or some apple with some almond butter on it or some peanut butter smothered in the apple. Um, grab another protein shake. And then for dinner, it's open slather. It's slow cooked meats. It's big vegetables. You know, it's just great food. It's real food, a barbecue, chicken, plenty of salad and a glass of red wine, which we'll talk about the benefits of alcohol in future episodes as well, because it's very important people, alcohol. It's normal eating, but it's the time that I restricted in. They actually did a study where they took a set of twins and they put them on a diet. Now, the calories are exactly the same. One of the, the twins was given a window of eating that they could eat as long as they wanted to, so they didn't have to stop eating. They could just graze throughout the whole day. And then the other twin was actually restricted to a 10-hour window. And the twin that actually was only allowed to eat for 10 hours lost more weight. Exactly the same calories. So if we went by the premise calories in versus calories out, that's what determines how much weight you carry. It's not true. It's the hormonal response, the demand it puts on the body, how your body has to keep producing hormones, keep having to work to break food down, it becomes less efficient. So tighten that window up. And as the study said, if you tighten your window up, you'll lose inches off your weight. Okay. So then what it is almost doing, it's not saying, if I put this food into my body, I'll get thinner. It's when I eat and how I eat will activate my body to work harder to burn the fat that I am taking in. That's right. And your body's in more of a fat burning state. It's more receptive to using that fuel from the food more effectively. That's what it's all about. How does your body use food as fuel? I have been told though for a long time, and I think I need to confirm this because I dare say people will be thinking the same thing, Adam, is that I've always been told to get up and get going in your day. You need to have something to eat to get your metabolism working so your body fires up. This is almost saying the opposite thing to that. Yeah, look, to a point it is. Breakfast stands for breaking the fast. So you've been asleep, you haven't eaten, you haven't drunk any water, so the most important thing you can do as far as putting something in your mouth in the morning is put water in there. But yes, food is very important. And when we break the fast, it's what we put in our mouth that matters most. So the problem with people, and we go back to, to number one hack, is think about fat loss, not weight loss. And that's the problem. A lot of these people go on these extreme diets where they don't need enough calories to maintain muscle mass. And that's where the problem occurs. They're not giving their bodies what it needs to maintain the muscle. So when these people do wake up in the morning, this is where these studies have come from. You can't argue with the studies that people that start their day with a good breakfast are a lot healthier. Yes, their rates of having obesity, you know, decreased by 450%, some studies show. The chance of having a heart attack are 27% lower for people that eat breakfast. On average, they're five centimeters smaller. But it doesn't mean you have to get up in the morning and break the fast first thing. You know, I would recommend, as I said, getting up in the first hour and just teaching your body how to use fat as energy. Move around on an empty stomach. 
Go for a walk, get out and you know, try some of them hacks from episode one of how to kickstart your day the right way. That's what I'd encourage people to do. So as long as you're eating within a few hours of getting up, you're going to be okay. Don't think that you need to strap your McHappy meal around your waist and as soon as you get out of bed, you scoff down something to eat. That's not how the body works. Okay, so then after time, your body will get more used to it. You'll have less of those crashes and you'll be able to survive longer throughout the morning before you start eating. Like you said, you can go to about 10 o'clock. Yeah, and look, I, I think for a lot of people, it's the psychological feeling of thinking they have the habit of getting up in the morning. And more importantly, it's the type of food that they eat when they start their day. Most people end up chasing the tail. Like we said, they eat breakfast like a little boy, rip into the cereal, rip into the flavored yogurts, have a bit of orange juice. Before they know it, they've consumed four times the amount of sugar that the World Health Organization recommends, and they wonder why. They're falling asleep, they're tired, and they're fat. So when you break the fast, which is breakfast, make sure you break it the right way with the right food. Don't think you need to get up first thing and eat. You don't. You can prolong it for a couple of hours, and you'll be good to go. However, don't worry if you're an early rise and you feel like you can't operate without having something in your stomach early on. That's fine. Research has shown, in actual fact, that people that eat more of their calories early in the day are actually lighter and carry less weight. So as long as you're sticking that 10-hour window, that's the key to this. That is the key. The problem is most people get up in the morning, as we said, have their first bite of breakfast at 6 a.m., and then at 9 o'clock, they're raiding the fridge. They're looking for the ice cream. You know, they're sitting down to watch the footy and what have they got in their hand? A big bowl of ice cream, a bag of chips, and all of a sudden they've been shoving their food in their gobs for 16 hours. So don't despair. If you have to get up in the morning and you feel the urge to eat, eat early, but make sure you set that stopwatch straight away and keep in that 10-hour window. All right, Alex, tip number four, mate. My wife always says it to me and I should take her advice. Just chill out. <laughs> I need to chill. <laughs> She just says to me, mate, stress will kill you. And she's exactly right. Stress is one of the biggest things when it comes to people being overweight. You know, you hear it all the time. Oh, I'm exercising. I'm eating great. Oh, but usually them same people are highly stressed as well as not sleeping. So these two silent S's, I like to call them, sleeping and stress go hand in hand. Um, you, you just think about it. Once again, we always go back to our cousin, Dave, the caveman. How did we come to where we are today? Well, he would run away from a freak which would be a snake, a tiger. It was a real threat. Mm. Now we're stressed all the time. You know, we're always running late, what, looking at our watches, checking our phones, our, worrying about our boss breathing down our neck. You know, we're constantly in this state of fight or flight, the stress response. It wasn't built for that. Our bodies weren't built to be under stress for long periods of time. Stress actually happens to empower us into superheroes for short bursts of energy when we need it. So basically when you have a threat out in the wilderness, your body goes into shutdown mode, pumps up a heap of adrenaline, a heap of hormones, which gives us a short burst of energy to run away from that threat. And what happens? Them hormones dissipate after we've run away. But what happens when we're sitting at our desk? What happens when we're at home laying in bed and we're stressed? Panic attack. Panic attack. Why? Because that stress has got nowhere to go. That cortisol piles up in our body. That cortisol stores fat around our guts. That cortisol makes us sick. It makes us cranky. So we, we can't be stressing all the time. Our bodies weren't designed to be constantly under stress. And that's the lifestyles we're living now. Stress is making us fat. People don't realize, but if you can do one thing, it's just chill out. It'll certainly beat most other things you can do when it comes to losing weight. I couldn't agree more. I think meditating is such an important part of people's life and should be introduced more. Sometimes life is stressful because that's the world we live in and it can't be avoided. You hit the nail on the head there. Stress really also comes back to a physiological response. That can trigger it. So the way we breathe, we breathe 20,000 times a day. We take 20,000 breaths on average every single day. So the way you breathe actually turns on your sympathetic or your parasympathetic nervous system. So essentially what that is, is your fight or flight response. So 
if you breathe really shallow and you're not breathing correctly, your body's adrenaline levels will pump up and it thinks it's ready for action. So if you're breathing shallow, you know, what's your body going to do? It's going to be amped up. So adrenaline's going to pour out all these hormones that actually cause you to store fat and be stressed. Whereas if you breathe properly from the diaphragm down below where your belly button is and you're breathing vertically is wrong. You want to breathe horizontally. You know, your stomach wants to be going out and in. So that's telling your body that it's relaxed. So breathing is the most important thing. So if you haven't got time to go and be a guru and sit on a rock somewhere and take a few deep breaths, no problem. Just reach for the chewing gum. Have a few chews on chewing gum. Reduces your stress levels by 16%, which is amazing. Or once again, move. Do a quick sprint on the spot. Jump up and down. You know, get, you know, when you've got butterflies. Use up the the energy. Quickly burn through that cortisol. Like you see footballers in the shed. I used to do it. Up on their toes, bouncing around. That's the adrenaline. We're trying to get rid of it. Our body's overridden with it. So what do we naturally do? Fidget, move around. So make sure you're moving if you are stressed. For me, I find also having an attitude of gratitude. You know, our brains struggle as blokes, particularly doing two things at once, you know, and it's really hard to have two emotions at once. It's impossible. You're either happy or you're sad. So I really focus on having an attitude of gratitude, being grateful for what I have. And then I can't stress. That's what I tend to do. So you can always think of the worst case scenario and ask yourself, well, how bad is that really? Uh, that's a type of cognitive therapy behavior. And it's never usually as bad as what you think it's going to be when you put things in perspective. But I rather focus on the, the positive, be an optimist. We've proven now that time and time again, people that are optimistic actually live a lot longer and live happier lives. So the way to do that before I go to bed at night, I write down three things I'm grateful for. And before I get up in the morning, I focus on three things that I'm grateful for. And having that optimistic attitude and being grateful doesn't allow me to focus on the negatives. So there's another tip for somebody to reduce stress straight away. But it feeds them into sleep. We now know that if you're stressed, you're not going to sleep. And when you don't sleep, unfortunately, research has shown when you get six hours or less of sleep, your free time's more as likely to get the flu. You are actually going to be 70% more likely to be overweight, which is mind-blowing. Just through not sleeping, then six hours. And we spoke about in the early episodes how to hack your way to the perfect night's sleep. So make sure you go back and listen to that episode because I'm telling you now, if you're going to do one thing for your health and you want to kickstart your health today, get sleep. It's the most important thing you can really do for your health. So making sure that we're getting that good sleep and um, that will really go a long way to eliminating a lot of stress because it's insidious. You know, when you don't sleep, you get stressed. I always speak to shift workers and I speak to high-performing athletes and coaches and CEOs and, you know, they say to me, I wake up in the middle of the night, I can't get back to sleep. I say, well, you're stressing about stressing. You're stressing about not being able to sleep. <laughs> so it defies the purpose, doesn't it? So I just teach them to go back to their breath and going back, putting on the headphones and listening to some you know, music or listening to the sounds of the ocean and just going back to their breath. And before they know it, they fall asleep. a ton asleep. of apps as well. Mindfulness apps. And like you said, listen to the ocean, lavender. It's all in lavender episode one. Lavender is all in episode one, the hacks to get a good night's sleep. So make sure you're getting enough sleep because I tell you what, you can spend hours in the gym, but you're wasting your time if you're not sleeping. Final hack, Adam. What gets measured gets done. You've got to measure it. Research is showing and I love my research and, you know, science doesn't lie a lot of the times. We can make it lie, but I can tell you now, people that are overweight, that's right. If you're fat, you're probably one of these people that is underestimating the amount of calories you eat every single day by up to 40%. Hmm. (laughs) That's right. You're lying to yourself. I thought you were going to say four and then the orty came out. (laughs) Orty, percent That is massive. Like, I just don't know. know, Did I eat one whopper or two whoppers? I don't know. So that's sort of like, that's a real problem for people that are overweight. We're great as human beings at telling ourselves BS. And we're very good liars, we're aren't we? Very good liars. Yeah. You know, I wake up in the morning and still think I've got hair. <laughs> uh, I comb my eyebrows. That's funny, you know, like I've hit 40 now and all of a sudden I still, I woke up the other night and I was like, oh, wow, um, 
God, I'm 40. I couldn't believe I was 40. Like, it's amazing how we live in this world of denial. It just goes so quickly. And that's what happens with people that are overweight generally. They just lose track of what they're putting in their mouths. Um, And to make matters even worse, when you go to the gym and you think you're doing the right thing, well, they've shown, research has shown that their machines in the gym, the the ecliptic trains, the treadmills, all these things with that heart rate monitor on it and whatnot and tell you how many calories you burn, they overestimate the amount of calories on average by 25%. Yeah. So they're telling you you're burning more calories than you bloody well are. So how do you win? You're underestimating what you're eating and then the exercise is overestimating what you're doing. So no wonder we're fat. <laughs> we're just in a continual lie. So make sure you measure it. This is why I love research. It's so amazing. You can't run away from a lot of the findings. There was two groups of people that were given the same diet and the only difference was one group kept a food diary over three weeks and the other didn't. So they were meant to eat the same thing. This is the important thing. The group that kept the food diary lost 1.5 more kilos than the group that didn't keep the food diary. So is the hack to write our food down? Write down your food. Take photos of your food. Insta shame yourself. And you can keep a food diary just by looking at what you ate. Every time you photos sit down, take a picture. Photos is a really good so one. It's, there's a hack in itself. So take a picture of the food you're about to eat. And then you can't not BS yourself. So that was a really interesting thing. Make sure you're measuring your gut as well. You know, we, we spoke about in a past episode about measurements. Um, you know, not getting caught up in body mass index and, and some misleading things. You know, muscle does weigh more than fat. So the most important thing to do is make sure you're measuring your waist. Because I get people saying to me all the time, oh, I'm going to give up because I'm not losing weight. I'm like, hang on. If you're following the hacks and you're building muscle, well, mate, muscle is great. Like fat, it weighs. It's more dense. So don't give me that excuse. Don't just govern your success and results by the scales. Make sure you're using a measurement. And for me, it's gut fat. If you're more than 94 centimetres, alarm bells should be ringing. You know, you're doubling your chance of cancer, heart attacks, stroke. You need to get off your backside straight away. If you're 94 centimetres or more, get off your butt right now. Don't stop. No more excuses. The other thing is jump on the scales only to keep yourself accountable. So Cornell University did an amazing study related to scales and they had a group of people that weighed themselves every single day for two years after they went on a diet and the other group didn't. After the two-year period, the people that weighed themselves every day kept the weight off. And actually, in fact, most of them actually lost a little bit more. Whereas a group that didn't weigh themselves, what are they good at? BSing. So they put weight on. So hold yourself accountable by measuring things. Another great hack, and I love technology. Use it to your advantage. Use the, the pedometer in these smartwatches or even on your phone. You know, people that use a pedometer on average take 20% more steps in a day. I love doing it with little kids and whatnot. I give them a, a pedometer and I say, you race each other. Billy, race Bobby. See how many steps you can take today. And it becomes a game. Gamify it. We love challenges. So use a pedometer to hold yourself accountable as well. And the other thing is measure where you put crap food to start with. This is my favorite one. It's the easiest hack out of them all. If you're an alcoholic, what do you do? You don't put the wild turkey in the cupboard, do you? No. We're only human. That reptile brain, if it sees it, it's going to eat it. Don't eat it. Don't put it in the house. If you see it, throw it away. Because on average, you'll eat foods three times more if they're at eye level. So if you do have crap food for the kids, hide it somewhere that's not in eye level. So like I said, get rid of the waistline through measuring today. So Alex, I'm looking forward to joining you next week. Please, now that you know that you've got to take pictures of your food, hopefully you'll stop sending me pictures of yourself with your shirt off <laughs> so my feed won't be as cluttered. My Insta feed <laughs> will just be of the things that I ate of my own food. That's It'll right. be a, f- a feed of food. With a shirt on, hopefully. Yeah, perfectly. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. I'll see you on the next episode. Always fun. Can't wait to share some more hacks. To get in touch with the show or to listen to all the episodes of The Health Hacker, make sure you go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall is recorded in the studios of Podcast One.
Produced by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Schoen. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.